If Murray had supported the show, I'd be less sick of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> America's Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. Sending out good vibes. Shivers or vibrations and stuff like that. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grand America Show. Coming at you this week with Sue Terry and the metaphysics of music. Bumped her out because she got a course coming out right away. And of course, we're going to play that uh, roundup from our other podcasts, our little news roundups we started doing over there. We have plus ones and free ones. So we're going to play the free ones. The plus ones are just too much for every place. They'll get us kicked off everything. So we only put those uh, behind the paywall so that they don't get us kicked off. And that's a whole other podcast platform, a whole other podcast, Grand America Outlawed, right? A whole other. You got the RSS feed from our website, or you can see it on the full videos on on Locals or uh, Substack. Yeah, or you can get the free ones just by searching Grammarica Out Loud on every podcast player and everything else. So uh, we're playing that roundup because, you know, you guys that like the intros, it might resonate with these, us kind of going through Canadian news stories and some world news stories and stuff like that and giving our opinions, our takes, stuff like that. We'll play the first one here that we recorded after our little lazy ramblings. Which won't be long, but I do have uh, I've I've played this before on the show, and I and I felt like I have to play this because you know it's the metaphysics of music. I mean, Sue Terry's fantastic. We got to have her back on. She's a professional musician, um, but she's also into the the spiritual stuff and kind of like more of the conspiracy reality that we that we live in. And uh, I want to read. I want to play this from 1991. You ready? Yep. It's coming. What is the truth about rock music? Music is a powerful and perhaps the most powerful medium in the world. Music. Plato said, when the music of a society changes, the whole society will change. Aristotle, a contemporary of Plato said, when music changes, there should be laws to govern the nature and the character of that music. Lenin said, the best and the quickest way to undermine any society is through its music. Music, ladies and gentlemen, is the gift of God. It was given by man to offer praises to God and to lift us up to Him and to exalt Him. And so we be touched at tender recesses of our heart and of our mind. Satan has taken music and he has counterfeited it, convoluted it, twisted it, exploited it, and now he's using it to hammer, 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 
So that is an actual quote from Jimmy Swagger that they put into into that back in 91. I mean, isn't that amazing? Plato says when the what? A quote from who? Jimmy Swagger, that, that famous that famous uh preacher. Oh, okay. Um, Plato says when the music of a society changes, the whole society will change. Aristotle says when music changes, there should be laws to govern the nature and the character of that music. Interesting. I mean, if those are real quotes, I mean, I do know they thought it was super powerful back then. I mean, there was a real reverence for, for music. I mean, they were using it in the healing temples and all over the place. I mean, I think healing music, sound healing goes way, way, way back farther than we realize. Yes. For sure. And I got, an, I got another quote here too for you. Like a jingle-worthy quote? Sure, yeah, jingle-worthy. Jingle-worthy. All right, let me get to the quote. It's the profound quote of the week. Darren, can you guess it? It's the profound quote of the week. The aim and final end of all music should be none other than the glory of God and the refreshment of the soul. Who said that? Um, geez. Bruce Springsteen. Johann Sebastian Bach. Really? Yeah. In what year? Uh, that was probably like, I mean, when was Bach from a couple hundred years ago? I think. Hey, you want me to ask my assistant or ask? Do you have an assistant now too? I do. Yeah. I've had him for, I mean, I've had him for a while. I just mis misgendered. Uh, Mine's genderless. It's non-binary. <laughs> Forgot to put the question in there. I just type. I just pasted the quote in there. I apologize for the confusion, but there's no definite evidence that he said that exact quote. <laughs> probably not. Most of them. Most of them probably aren't. Well, there you have it, guy. I'll, I'll get. I'll give you the the, the years when Bach lived. Got to be 1700s, 1600s. Yeah. So March twenty. He was born on March twenty first, sixteen eighty five. And he died on July 28th, 1750. Really? He lived during the Baroque period. There you have it. And then I have a review. We got another review. First one in a while. It says, love y'all. Five stars. Really loved episode 608. Thank you for keeping it real. I can't remember what we talked about in episode 608. Which one was 608? Was that the last one? It might have been the last one. Yeah. Let me just check quickly here. I think it was. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah, it was Lisa Campion awakening your psychic ability. There you have it. Well, now we'll jump. Oh, Go ahead. Sorry. Before we do that, I uh, I do need to mention that was that, that quote there, that jingle that I played. That was from Pop Will Eat Itself back in 1991. The incredible PWEI versus the moral majority. That was uh, 
that's sort of like a precursor to the dance of the mad bastard song on that album what about a bio because we're going to jump into that news roundup so maybe do the bio now sure yeah 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 um so Sue, Sue Terry's, uh, she's putting on this amazing intimate course in the Andes of Ecuador called uh, Metaphysics of Music. She's an international performer and recording artist specializing in the saxophone, clarinet, and shakuhachi. I don't know how to say that word. Her discography contains more than 70 albums. She's a longtime practitioner and is certified in both Tai Chi and Qigong, Tai Chi Chuan and Qigong, and is a nine-time USKSF gold medalist. She's extensive. She's got extensive training in the fourth way teachings of Gurdjieff, co-hosts the podcast Cracking the Reality Code, and is the author of several books, including the acclaimed collection of essays for the curious. And her website is suterry.com, S-U-T-E-R-R-Y.com. And, um, the, and then I think you can get to the metaphysics of mu- music there, but there's also a uh, a link directly to that course, the metaphysics of music on that in the show notes as well. All right, guys, support the show. Gramerica.ca slash support if you can, when you can. Uh, we keep it all free. We keep it all real in the hopes that if it adds some value to your life, to your day, to your commute, wherever it adds a little value. If you're getting some value from the show, please consider sending some value back our way. Gramerica.ca slash support. Uh, monthlies, one-time donations, it all helps. Check out our other podcast, GrimericaOutlaw.ca, where this next roundup comes from. We'll do those. We're going to try and do those, you know, as often as we can. We're going to shoot for one a week or so once we're back from vacation and in the in the swing of things. This one, of course, we're talking about C eighteen and some Canadian Indian stuff and stuff like that. And since we published this, of course, Google has committed to pull out of offering news links in Canada as well as Meta. And if people are interested, the the plus one that we did on our other show is that it came out this week and that gets into like trans and autism and stuff like that. Stuff we can't talk about here for sure. Anyway, let us know what you think about this and check out Grammarica Outlawed if you like this content. We're not going to get into this kind of stuff here, but we are going to do it uh, pretty regularly over there. Other than that, enjoy that and then enjoy the chat with uh, Sue. Welcome back to Great America Outlawed. Coming at you with our, our new show, I guess, our new segment, our new show. We're running out of the last audio book we've been doing for all of our Plus members. The All Seeing Eye by Manly P. Hall. And at the same time, we've been getting a ton of feedback about how much people like the news roundup shows that we do from time to time. So we decided we'd try out, instead of doing another audio book, we'll just start doing more news roundups. And what we're going to do is we're going to do two free ones a month, this being one of them, and two plus ones a month. So they'll come out weekly. This week will be a free one, and next week will be plus only, and so on and so forth like that. You know, see how it, we'll see how you guys receive it. If you like it, let us know. Um, but that's what we're going to try. And they won't be long, you know, there'll be a half an hour, 45 minutes. Maybe and, and we, we might not be able to do it next week because you're away, right? So, I mean, I, I don't want to commit, like, we're not committing to this schedule right away here, but that's kind of like the plan. Yeah, I'm away right away. By the way, I'm Graham, your favorite podcaster, and this is Darren, the most censored Canadian Indian cowboy. The most censored Indian in Canada. I don't, I don't know if you're allowed to say Indian. Indian cowboy. 
I mean, this is this is what we got to make you. You're you're the most censored Indian cowboy. I'm just well, my social media says the most censored Indian, and I'm not allowed to change it for a month. What social media is that? Facebook? All of it. Well, Twitter has kicked me off completely. Facebook has shut me down for at least 29 days, but it said 20, they gave me two 29 days, so I don't know if they're served cons- concurrently or consecutively, or you know, like you know what I mean. So we're gonna be careful on this one because we're on YouTube right now and and we're and we're running in the penalty box. We just got out of the penalty box already, so we're feeling. We have a strike strange. right now. What? We have a strike right now on YouTube. No, we don't. We do. We do have a strike. Yeah, it's yeah. off for going live, but it stays on for three months. Right. As far as striking out is concerned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. So yeah, we're still we're still kind of in the. We have a. We got out of the penalty box, but we still have a game suspend a game suspension. A what? A game suspension, like I don't a, know, a, that's misconduct, a analogy. misconduct. What? Yeah. It's, it's a great strike. analogy. I mean, is there a better? We're out of the penalty box. We can tell you misconduct still. Like, why <laughs> wouldn't you just use the three strikes in your own baseball analogy? I mean, <laughs> because we don't have like we're, we're the strike is uh, limited. You know, we've got extra functionality right now, so. Not extra. Just so, anyways, fun. yeah, you got a couple things you want to talk about, right? And uh, as do you. Yeah. So we'll try it out, and we'll do it without having guests on because that'll just sort of make it a little trickier to do. But we we might have some local Canadian guests on. No? Yeah, we might. Yeah, and I want to say there's something else too. Is is we don't really have like we do intros for our Grimerica show, but that's not really like the platform for a lot of the stuff we want to talk about. And then we have interview style shows. So we end up collating or I end up collating a lot of stuff that I'd like to talk about that isn't really getting talked about, but we don't really have, a, you know, a platform right now. So I think it's good to to maybe do this so we can kind of like air some of our, of the stuff that sort of we're, we're coming across or that we're holding on to. Eh? Yeah. Well, I, I'm not holding on to it, I guess. I'm just not. Well, I do. Publicly. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I mean, I publicly when I'm not kicked off of social media. I meant holding on, like, I meant collating it, you know. Yeah, yeah. But it's all the stuff we're sort of bipping about anyway, you know. Yeah. And that's it. And the other one will get a little bit more controversial on the plus one. You know, we'll look look at some of uh, some of the, the raunchier sub stacks and some of the, you know, the stuff that gets you kicked off these other platforms. The raunchier stuff? Well, next week we're going to do, I guess we'll get into that at the end. Yeah. And we'll be next week. We can record it before I leave, though. I have figured out how to schedule them, so there's that. Especially just the plus one. That'll be easy. So you want me to go first? Is that well, I, yeah, I can go first if you want. Well, let me see my, how... Uh, be shorter. Let me see how this works. Let me see uh, what's it, what it's going to do. Oh, so that might not be too bad if it does it like that. Darren's just having monitor problems, so. Yeah, I'm down to one monitor right now. Like, so did it pop up? It popped yeah, up. it did pop up. Looks good. Oops, down, did it switch tabs now? Did it switch? No, it didn't switch tabs, no. So it's still on the other one. Yeah. On this one? It's on the Bill C-18. Yeah. An act respecting online communications platforms that make news content available to persons in Canada. Right? Yep. So this is one that just passed. This just passed last week. 
I think it came into effect today, or I don't know when it comes. No, no, no. It was tabled in the House of Commons June 21st there. Oh, that was 2022. Yeah, but it's been royally ascended now. It got royal ascent. Just today. Something was going on today with it. Well, today was the day that Meta said they were going to block all of the news in Canada, but a lot of people call it a censorship bill or this and that. Uh, my interpretation of it is it seems like it's mostly going to stop social media from being able to show whoever the Canadian government deems as news on their platforms without pay, pl- paying per, per click or something like that. But uh, we'll get into the sort of what the mainstream thinks of that. I mean, I, I, I would never rule out some sort of backdoor um, censorship. But, I mean, on the surface, it really seems like it's just going to fucking hammer places like the CBC and CTV and stuff like that rate in the ratings because now people are just aren't going to be able to click on their links off of the places where they're spending all of their time. So do they want they want money per click or something like what are they what are they are they I think so but let's get into it here's the actual this is the breakdown from the House of Commons Justin's justice.gc.ca blah 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 uh explanatory notes section 4.2 of the Department of Justice requires that the Minister of Justice prayer a charter statement for every government bill so we're not getting into that we'll skip down ahead to the points where uh, it tells us what we're up to. So an overview of the bill. Many Canadians access news content through digital intermediaries, which I would assume is places like Facebook and Twitter. And I don't know if YouTube is going to fall into that, you know, but these sort of places, Discord. Uh, Bill C-18 would enact the Online News Act, which proposes a regime to regulate digital platforms that act as intermediaries in Canada's news media ecosystem in order to enhance fairness in the Canadian digital news market. The bill introduces a new bargaining framework intended to support news businesses to secure fair compensation when their content is made available by dominant digital news intermediaries. So whenever they say news intermediaries, just think social media because that's the only real news media interior blah blah we're talking about here right now unless they're talking about guys like us talking about it but you know that's not such a big thing it really isn't a big market from what i can see it's guys like us talking about are still going to be allowed to be there i don't know where the rebel i mean suddenly this seems like this is where and it sucks because i can't see you while i'm doing this until I get my monitor situation figured out. Uh, Rebel News has always been complaining about how they're not part of this mainstream cabal. Right. And all of a sudden, not being a part of this mainstream cabal might highlight all of their um, content on social media just by consequence of the other stuff not being there. I don't know if, if uh, <clears throat> Meta, you know, here's, here's a quote from um, an internet law professor, Michael Geist. And in a tweet, months of Meta consistently stating it would exit news in Canada due to this bill. Yet uh, Pablo Rodriguez still thought it was a bluff and has no plan B. Now scrambling to see if Google might block. Everyone loses with this disastrous legislation. So so I guess, yeah, the government was thinking or potentially thinking that this was uh, um, a bluff. 
which is kind of what my thought first thought was. Oh, it's just meta and, and and these guys sort of bluffing. They want some some more money or something. But so what they're saying is that their content, their the Canadian news company's content being on Facebook and stuff is is generating income for Facebook, which I don't think anyone really cares. Say that again. Well, they're they're what this because it says here um, to secure fair compensation when their news content is made available by dominant digital news intermediaries and generates economic gain. Now, I don't know if they're saying that. So they want to say Facebook's making off of ads is somehow amplified by the CBC being there. So yeah, they yeah. want, yeah. you know, so, so which, they want a piece of that action. That, which that Facebook matter. could say the opposite and say, Hey man, if you weren't on Facebook, nobody would be reading your shit. Just like nobody's watching TV anymore. You know what I mean? This is your last chance. That's what I was kind of getting at is that I feel like they're tone deaf and they don't realize that their model is failing. People aren't watching TV. The advertising model sucks. Um, it's like instead of adapting, they're just trying to force themselves it, into the force the new model forward. Exactly. So and then are they? Okay. And then are they asking like Meta and, and Facebook? Are the Meta and Meta and Facebook are the same thing, right? Let's say Meta and Google. Let's say Meta and Google to to change their processes then to add like I add things in. I don't know. I, so I'm not going to inform anyone on anything. We're going to find out together. In what just what it says. Yeah, is made available by dominant digital news intermediaries and generates economic gain. It seeks to support balanced negotiations between the business that operate dominant digital news intermediaries and the businesses responsible for the news outlets that produce the news content. If one party initiates it, a final offer arbitration process would be used as a last resort to address scenarios in which negotiate agreements are not reached. The Canadian Radio, Television, and Communications Commission would support and oversee the administration of the regime. Application of the Online News Act. The Act would regulate... News intermediaries that make news content produced by news outlets available to persons in Canada. Search engines and social media services fall within the definition of digital news intermediary. Messaging services that primarily allow persons to communicate with each other privately would be excluded from the scope of the act. So maybe Discord would be okay. Yeah, Discord and WhatsApp and Telegram, maybe even. But there, someone has to share it. It's not the news agency, which is just still, you know, it just seems crazy. The act will only apply to digital news intermediaries if there is a significant bargaining power imbalance between the operators of digital news intermediary and the news outlets producing the news content a digital news intermediary makes available. Oh, my God. This will be determined according to a statutory criteria, such as the size of the digital news intermediary, i.e. Google and Facebook, look out, and whether it occupies a prominent market position and any regulation made by the governor and council. A digital news intermediary may also be exempted from the act if its operators entered into agreements with news businesses that satisfy certain conditions. 
such as providing fair compensation to news businesses and contributing to the sustainability of Canada's news marketplace. How about if the Canada's news marketplace can't adapt or evolve into the future, it just gets left behind? How about making the lying about stuff? I mean, that would be a start. That would help. Stop working for the government and lying? The act will include criteria to determine which news businesses are eligible to participate in the bargaining process. To be eligible, a news business must be a qualified Canadian journalism organization or meet other statutory criteria that include operating Canada and regularly employing two or more journalists in Canada. All right. Two or more. Two or more. So, <laughs> it's crazy, right? So, it seems um, like that'll be open open to like anybody that's kind of, you know, doing any kind of real news journalism will be subject to that. As long as uh, yeah, but only if you're doing cool, you know. only only if you're part of their list of news people, though. Like, we're not. No, but I mean, they can make, what I'm saying is they leave it open to make anybody that's, you know, on that list. Easy to add somebody, I guess, what I'm saying. Yeah, well, it's going to, uh, yeah, it is easy to add someone. But it's also, um, it seems like it's all the people that they're also paying you know, it seems like they're trying to get out of paying the people that they're paying so that they can. Uh, so now you're looking at the meta one, right? Is it scrolling down? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. So this is our CTV, which is one of our government agencies, which is one of the people who would have to get paid. Are you not get paid? Yeah, I guess they'd get paid when their shit gets clicked on. So, Ottawa, a federal bill that requires Google and Meta to pay media outlets for news content that they share or otherwise repurpose on their platform has become law. So, that they share. I mean, I could see if you're a copy and paste in the article, but just for sharing a link back to their own site. The Senate passed a bill for Thursday in a final vote and was given royal assent amid a standoff between the liberal government and Silicon Valley techs. Oh, so it says. So here it says Meta would not offer details about the timeline for that move, which it confirmed on Thursday. It plans to comply with the bill by ending news availability on Facebook and Instagram for Canadian users. Now, I had heard that that was going to be uh, effective today, but I guess uh, that's not the case because, like I was saying to you before, I was. Uh, you, you saw the that CBC link on there today. Yeah. What does it say when? Sorry. Uh, it says uh, Meta would not offer details about the timeline for that move, but it said it would put local news from its site before the Online News Act takes effect. The bill will come into force six months from Thursday. So they got quite some time. They got quite some time. So basically, it says down here the Online News Act. I thought it said somewhere, I can't find here about, you know, how much we're talking about. As far as what, like money and stuff? How much they want, they're expected to pay, or if it's per click. I thought I remembered something way back. It was, there was some sort of click amount, but I might be wrong. 
It seems, it seems like, you know, as part of this process, all details will be made public before any tech giant is designated under the act. So, like you said, it looks like there is some, some time. I guess six months, right? Yeah, 180 days, yeah. So uh, let me see what else I got here. But I mean, I like how I like how the stance from Meta. I don't know if Google has the same stance. It's like, well, then we just won't won't have your stuff on here. I mean, I don't know what else you you can do. You know, especially if you're not responsible for who's sharing what and uh, what's going on. It just seems like it's a huge can of worms. A huge can of worms. So let's go to this one kind of sort of says the same thing. This is Michael Geist. Uh, the government's epic bill C-18 miscalculation on mandating payments for links. Meta executives faced another round of, of criticism at the Standing Committee on Canadian Heritage yesterday. Yet beyond the usual outrage emanating from the MPs that have labeled critics as racist or dismissed online news outlets as not news was the growing realization that the company's plan to block news sharing in Canada if Bill C-18 passes in its current form may not be a bluff. Meta has adopted a consistent position for months that the bill creates the prospect of unlimited liability for linking to news articles, the vast majority of which are posted by the media companies themselves Paying for those links is viewed as uneconomic and untenable by the company, which would rather exit news sharing altogether in Canada <laughs> rather than cough up millions of dollars. I mean, loan. shouldn't that have been an obvious answer? Like, the, that's what I mean about them being tone deaf. Like, get your head out of your ass, government. You really think these corporations are going to bend over backwards and create a whole separate process because you guys are, are losing potential because, you know? People aren't watching the TV anymore. Yeah. Canadian Heritage Minister, pa Minister Pablo Rodriguez has been asked about the prospect of blocking news sharing for months, but has been unable to provide a co uh, cognate response. Replying instead on canned talking points about his disappointment with Meta turning to the Australian playbook. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It seems like Google and Facebook. Now I don't see where Twitter, where Twitter would fill into that. So to be clear, News Media Canada, the lead lobbying group for the news sector, must shoulder some of the blame. Many of its largest members have already already have deals with Google and Facebook. Yet it was the greed of hoping for bigger deals based on link payments, not new revenues for smaller publishers, many of whom did not want this legislation. Yeah. So there you have it. I mean, it's and, interesting. And that backfire for us, like, like in a good way for people like us or the small sort of independent people that might get more traction on these, these platforms, just you know, kind of going, over news, going over news, but not being real journals. Yeah. That's kind of my take on it is that the hope would be that, that, you know, that just gives more room doesn't guarantee it, but it leaves more room for our shit to show up. If you know, you know, those are the mainstream media, whether it's fake or what's going on. But when you see them, those are the most shared shit, you know? 
It's yeah. a shit. Everyone's following those motherfuckers. Even on even on Instagram, when I put a like a clip, even if it's a clip against them, it's showing the hypocrisy of it. It still gets way more traction than like an independent clip. Now I don't know if that's like algorithmically based or if it's if it's literally getting more traction because it's organically mainstream. Yeah, it's, everyone's following those. You know, it's just like I was following them all when I was on Twitter. You know, and on I don't on Instagram because I don't really follow any of that kind of stuff because Instagram's not that sort of a platform to me. The whole news thing doesn't even really make sense. They just seem to not let them post like screenshots of the headlines because that's really all you can do on Instagram. Yeah, but um, when I was on Twitter, I was following all of them. You know, CTV, CBC, all those CNN, all of them, just to get keep your finger on the pulse of what's going on. Plus, you have a you know you can comment and and I guess that's there's an interactivity on Twitter with with them directly, right? Yeah, and now Twitter, it's a pain because I can still use Twitter, but I can't follow anyone, so I can't curate. I won't even allow me to curate a timeline. Yeah. So I'm constantly just like, you know, I got to search things out subject by subject, which is kind of annoying, but Did you, that's what comes with the being the most censored Indian in Canada. Most censored Indian cowboy in Canada. Do, do you... Oh, um, cowboy's going to stick. It doesn't roll off the tongue as well. It, I know, but it's 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 good because it's kind of like a conundrum as well, yeah. right? It's like, hey, an Indian cowboy? Because you are a cowboy. You're a gun-toting cowboy, but you're Indian. Yeah. Like, so, so I believe okay, that... Did you, uh, did, you, did, you, did, you, um, did you appeal again just very recently and get and they already respond real quick to you? Or? Oh, I, I just, like, at this point, I'm just in a constant appeal process. So and, they reject, I appeal. They reject... Sometimes I put more effort to each into it than other times, but uh, sometimes I don't, you know, and uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if we want to show that. You know, that might just have got us another strike on YouTube right there. The guns? Yeah. Dude, there's so many gun channels, it's crazy. I mean, I can't even believe how many, because I was like, be nice to have the write-off of just being able to buy guns as a business expense, but you know, the competition is steep, man. There's people just shooting random shit with guns. It's like it's through the roof. It really is something else. Anyway, so the Canadian. Before we switch off, I mean, all my shit's kind of related to the Canadian government. That's mostly going to be what I'm complaining about. Well, me too. My number one adversary. Uh, but if we could, I guess we'll roll over to your natural health stuff. Uh, sure, if you want. Yeah, I mean, I keep thinking this can't be real, you know. But yeah, like well, that, so that's okay. That's funny you mentioned that because this is kind of like what well, this is like. It can't be real, you know. Um, let's see here. So what I think is that I think that in their fucking hubris, the liberals just assumed that they would pay for it, and then the six hundred million, or was it six hundred billion? No, six hundred million that that they have that the government's now shelling out. Maybe that they could have the media companies pay for that. And I'm sure the government would end up playing intermediary at some level. So they get to, you know, clip a little off the top. Yeah. Well, uh, here, I'll, I'll show a, a rebel news. Uh, I'll show, I've got a couple sort of the sort of the independent news, uh, sort of more sort of right wing news, I guess you'd say. 
So this is actually bright light, bright lightning. So you can just see that one thing, right? I don't want to share my whole screen. So um, it talks about is natural healthcare finished in Canada? Now, have you seen, have you heard this at all? Have you heard about this? I've been seeing different things about how they're going to block, uh, block access to all this natural healthcare stuff. And I've just been assuming it was hyperbolic, but. Well, that's what I wasn't sure because I see these headlines and I mean, to be honest, you can trust some of these headlines more than the other sort of mainstream headlines that when you deconstruct, they're completely wrong. But um, there is sort of this discussion paper that was sent out, um, which I'll get into. It's by, um, where's the guy again? Where's his name? Sean Buckley. And he's, he's, he's the one that seems to be sort of pushing this. Um, it doesn't really seem hyperbolic. I went through some of the discussion paper, but let me just um, let me look at a different one here. I don't. Why is my stop sharing way up there now? I'd like it if these things could all be. Uh, oh, that's a different one. <clears throat> so this is a Rebel News article, and uh, they're talking about this natural health product regulations will decimate the industry. Do you think um, they actually mean decimate? Like no. By no, they mean destroy. Okay. Um, the, ch the changes would impose significant cost and logistical challenges to the natural product business with additional red tape barriers signaling the beginning of the end of the non-pharmaceutical based healthcare in Canada. And I mean, we know what, what a challenge this is already because, you know, our or Canadian healthcare only covers the mainstream portion. Anybody that gets kind of any relief outside that system has to pay for it either with insurance help or not, or on the, from their own dime. Um, <clears throat> so it talks about many and small, medium-sized uh, natural health product companies will not survive these changes. I'll get into that paper a little bit. Um, but <laughs> this are, these are some highlights. Like, get, get, the, get these stats. I mean, this is where... This is where it gets a little crazy making. So they, there's a bunch of comparisons over how dangerous these natural products are. So Canadians are 14 times more likely to be struck by lightning than to die from a natural health product. They're 428 times more likely to die from bicycling than to die from a natural health product. 714 times more likely to die in a school bus accident. Uh, 1,071 to be murdered. So, I mean, it, it kind of shows you what a silly sort of thing they're doing, you know, but it, but it makes sense because they're, they're starting to, um, you know, they're starting to track adverse reactions from the other thing, right. Officially on the government website. I mean, I don't know if they're not firing doctors anymore or not, you know, or if that's just the thing they used to do in 2021, 2022, but they are kind of tracking that now, but I do find it, um, so I just can't, I can't switch tabs. I have to stop sharing and then reshare. I want to show something that we've talked about on the show quite a bit recently. This is the wellness company in Canada. I do find it kind of coincidental that um, this, this division, the wellness company, it started in the States. Now it's in Canada and it's got um, some, you know, spike support supplements, some blood sugar stuff, strong bone formula, but it, it's really I think developed in order to help people with um, certain injuries that they've gotten. Um, <clears throat> and, and you've got the, all these sort of pariahs in this company here. You've got Julie Paness, you know, who is a, a speaker of the convoy. She's been doing great work. You know, Roger Hodgkinson, uh, 
Oh yeah, it is Hodgkinson. You put his video up on YouTube. It got deleted right away. That was way back. I think it was like the end of 2020. That was the very first thing that ever got us in trouble. Yeah. William, strike, it still displays there as our first warning. Yeah. yeah. William Mackis, he, we had him on this show, Outlawed. It was fantastic. Him and Paul are doing great work on Substack. And we all know McCullough and, and Harvey Reich and some of these others. So, well, that's actually, they're the chief board of the United States. And then this is the chief medical and scientific board in Canada. So, I mean, I don't know. It seems a bit weird, coincidental, that there's an actual, you know, push at the same time as as these guys are starting up some some parallel systems to help us in a, in a sort of more supplemental way instead of going to the hospital. Were you able to find any of the, like, proposed legislation or anything? On yeah, I, well, I've got I've got the. Uh, how do I share my? Uh, why is that not coming up? How do I share my um, PDF reader again? I do not know. You mean like you're gonna it's gonna read to us? Oh, I see. No, no, you got it. <laughs> so this is a discussion paper. There's a link in the show notes too. It's 36 pages, and this is the one that everybody's referencing. Um, so I'll, I'll just run through. Because they weren't really, a lot of people weren't really extracting details from this. That's why it kind of seemed a little bit obscure. You know, you're like, is this just uh, fear mongering or you know, how serious is this? But he says, so this paper talks about the cost recovery, new regulatory burdens, and new Health Canada powers. So he says, you know, again, small and medium sized natural health product companies will not survive these changes. Um, they will lose their products, consumers will lose their products. Health Canada is moving to, number one, charge natural health product businesses significant new fees. Number two, to impose new regulatory burdens on natural health product businesses. And three, give itself dramatic powers over the natural health product community. So in summary, um, I don't want to repeat a lot of this stuff. We're going to lose health products. The new fees will fund permanent inspection regulatory programs. Uh, it just, it just smacks of like over bureaucratic bullshit, new regulatory stuff. Prices will increase for consumers. Censorship of tr truthful health information will increase, which is a way of taking products away. If persons cannot be told a product can help them, the product is effectively taken away. Taking away natural health products and censoring truthful information about them will have negative health consequences. Of course, the powers and penalties we fought against in Bill C-51 in 2008 will be imposed on those in the natural health community. Fines will increase from a maximum of 5,000 to 5 million per day of an offense. Directors, officers, and employees are personally responsible for these 5 million a day fines. Health Canada will get almost godlike powers. They can order you to take any corrective action. Failure to comply, again, that fine. This is only the beginning. Further self-care framework changes to be implemented. So they've, they've implemented, I think these things fell under self-care. So what they want to do is take those out of self-care. So I think I'll leave it at that for now. There's a, so th I mean, I'll put a link in the show notes. It gets quite in depth. I didn't really read through the whole thing. So, um, but it is, it is kind of alarming and it doesn't really surprise me because there's been a subtle war on natural health for a while. And now it just seems to be ramping up. Yeah, I guess ever since the coup. Yeah. Which we can't get into here, but uh, we'll probably get into 
in depth next week on our plus only episode of Roundup. Uh, so is it back to my turn then? Sure, yeah. That's the only one you brought? No, no, I got another one. Oh, I got right, a doozy. Right. I got a doozy to finish it off. You have a doozy? Yeah. A gram doozy? Could be weak. It's about, All right, well, mine won't take long. I'll tease you. It's about uh, Health Canada again, so the government again, calling for the end of uh, what? What do you think? What are they calling for the end of? Capitalism. Because... Mm. Because racism causes global warming. So we'll get into that a little bit. Oh. All right. So this one will be quick. Uh, I'm actually working on an article from a new... And if I, I was going to try and get it published today, but I didn't. I'm not going to get it until later. Tonight or maybe tomorrow. Um, but I came across, because I've been saying that, it's it's coming, you know, where I think we're going to maybe get to the point where we're ready to maybe... Something's going to happen with the Indian Act. I don't think it's going to be around in, I don't know, 20 years for sure, maybe 10. I think its end is on the horizon. I don't know how it's going to negotiate, if that's going to be land or money, but it's going to be one of those two things, I would say. Um, so why is the Indian Act not good right now? Because people if, people might hear that and think it's a good thing. Oh, we have this Indian Act, right? But the Indian Act is really is kind of more of a like a restriction, isn't it? Or what well, gives the government sort of all consuming powers all over consuming land? power over all of the Indians in Canada, or the indigenous, if you want to call them that. But I am an Indian, so I'm going to say Indian because I am one. And that's what my card says. My card says registered Indian. So um, basically, you know, the Indian, we don't know none of the reserves are owned. The government can come in at any time. And and has been coming in and sort of just steamrolling the place. And then, like I said in my book, if there's a pipeline or a highway or a train or anything like that that needs to come through, um, the government doesn't need to really. I mean, they they pretend like they got to consult, but clearly they don't, and they won't. But I agree, Jerry. Jerry says uh, in the chats here, governments are out of control everywhere. Um, and this is why this is interesting, what Darren's going to talk about, because this might be sort of an avenue in that'll help freedoms for everybody. Right, yeah, Darren? well, I know the Huron Indian uh, band just got like a, a huge settlement that was like $2.3 billion or something like that. And uh, right away, I was thinking, because my my band, Mishkigogaming, has been uh, battling with Ontario Hydro over a series of dams that they built for mines. So that they could power mines, you know, over the last hundred years since the 1920, not 1929, I think the first one, maybe 1934, somewhere in there. So, you know, a hundred years or more, we're coming up on a hundred years of, uh, you know, flooding lands and stuff like that. And, and not only that, also extracting minerals from land that was, you know, even if it's not part of the actual reserve land, there's also the thing where all the lands around the reserve, because that was kind of one of the ways they weaseled them into saying, well, this is the only land you get, even though you don't actually get it, the government still owns it. But all this land around you, you know, you can still hunt and fish there and blah, blah, blah. And that's where the problems come in is now they're going to start destroying some of these places around the reserve, not actually on the reserve. So it kind of leeches onto it or like it kind yeah, well, of guaranteed the right to hunt and fish in those lands. And if they get destroyed or developed then those, those rights disappear. Right. Even if we don't, even if we don't own it. So, interestingly enough, my my band, 
Michigan, along with the rest of the Treaty Nine nations, has officially um, launched a $95 billion lawsuit. So there's a total of 10 nations in Treaty Nine, including mine, the Michigan, and uh, Ojibwe Nation is about 2,000 of us. 1500 on reserve, I think, and about 500 off, myself being one of the latter. 10 nations in Treaty 9. Now, this is actually right on uh, the Aboriginal persons' uh, news. So I don't know. That's not what it's actually called, but this is sort of the main. It's APTN. I don't know what it stands for. So anyway, this is sort of the main uh, Indigenous. Um, that was back Aboriginal was a thing back in a while, right? In my lifetime, it's gone from Indian to Aboriginal to Native to Indigenous. So, 10 nations in Treaty 9 have released a draft copy of a lawsuit against Canada and Ontario that they say will be filed over a faulty treaty process and lack of consultation over what happens in their territory. The draft, which was released Wednesday, is asking the courts for $95 billion in compensation plus control over what happens on their lands, including resource extraction. Now, the difference between this and what was happening, you know, this kind of stuff may be always sort of been happening in the background and being pooed, but now that they've signed that, because, I mean, this shit was, like, knocked out in the Supreme Court of Canada has basically said that the duty consult don't mean shit. Now, I don't have that in front of me. I'll get it for next time, maybe. What did you say? They were poo-pooed, did you say? Or they were approved? A poo-pooed. Poo-pooed, okay. But now that Canada is officially signed on, now when I wrote my book, they had it now. Now they have, maybe they had when I wrote my book and I just said, but Canada's officially signed on to that United Nations uh, thing. Charter right? rights thing? Yeah. So uh, this, uh, I think there's a good chance they're going to win. Um, I don't know if they'll win all that money, if they'll settle out of court. There's a lot of pressure for them to settle out of court because we're sort of at the, it's the gold rush of rare earth minerals right now. And it looks like a lot of those might be on a lot of this land. So um, the government's sort of in a position where they want to negotiate quickly. Right. So you could get a quick settlement here. Um, It's a lot of money. How much is all that land? And I mean, if you look at the amount of money uh, made off the off the resources that have been extracted off of those lands, though, and sold without any of it going back to those tribes uh, over the last hundred years, you know, it's not a lot of money. So, the treaty was signed with the ten nations between Canada and Ontario over the years starting in nineteen oh five. Ottawa Piscat First Nation, First Nation. Um, where is it now? I can't, I can't pronounce all those, so I'm just going to skip all that. According to the document, the written text of treaty was prepared at headquarters as between Canada and Ontario without any Indigenous signatories input. Uh, the treaty commissioners representing Canada and Ontario took the prepared written text and met with the Treaty Nine Nations in their territories. Um, so basically, this is talking about how they never surrendered their rights. And uh, now, my First Nation wasn't always called Michigan. It used to be called, uh, started with an O. But anyway, so that's. Uh, so basically, this all came out because it's Ring of Fire. This is this new Doug Ford wants to do all these um, new, all this new mining up around there. And um, 
That just happens to be where the the small percentage of reservation land is. Like, yeah, and well, it also goes. It also bleeds over into. It bleeds over into just all of that land that's not, not technically reserve land. That's still, I mean, some of the reserves are small, right? You're talking about a few hundred square kilometers. I mean, twenty eight thousand square kilometers total. All the reserve land in Canada. Can you can you just mention that for a sec here for people because people always think oh you know well well they gave the Indians some land blah 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 like they you know they have their reserves but can you explain to them like how small that is compared to the crown land and also how it's not they don't have control over that land still like it's basically just under sort of like a loan type thing or a lease or what how does that work? Yes, it seems to be. Uh, it seems to be. Uh, now that um well i don't know but like on the actual reserves they have some i would say right now they've they're probably ignore in for the most part they can do what they want they can do what they want to a certain extent except like own land mortgage land or sell land can't do any of those things unless you leave the reserve because the government owns it all um so it's tough to develop that. I mean, I think it's probably just a matter, the the government's plan is to eventually just get rid of all the Indians and take that land back. But all that land altogether, even the government owns it. If you take all the 650 tribes, I think almost a million Indians, 970,000 or something like that, uh, 28,000 square kilometers. So it's not a lot of room. So you're talking about the actual reserve where you're going to have your housing and stuff like that. My like I think Kyle, our buddy Kyle DeLille's reserve is thirteen thousand acres, man. Like, what's that? What 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 was it looking like back before? Thirteen thousand acres is like a suburb of fucking Montreal. Is yeah. you know a small suburb of Montreal. So that had to come along with the ability to hunt and fish in some places. So you actually had the ability to to go off the like, reserve to to go off the reserve to do that. So a lot of these treaties, Treaty Nine being one of them. I'd imagine Treaty 7 to a certain extent. I haven't looked at that one. Mine's is Treaty, Treaty 9. James Bay, I think. Um, so, where was I? Well, you're saying about a lot of the treaties allow you to go off the land to hunt and stuff. Oh, so there's been a guaranteed that so much of this land, you know, not a, not a, uh, it's not a subjective, you know. There's a, a map that we're, you know, description of from this river to there or whatever that would remain available for hunting and fishing still basically saying you can't have this land but we weren't we're not going to fuck it up we'll probably take some gold out of it we'll do this we'll do that and now this has all really come about because they're trying to change the legislation on what the cleanup process of that is so they they don't have to clean up the abandoned mines when they're done but didn't it start out where in the very beginning, I don't know how many years ago that they, they were given more land as reservations and then it kind of comes, you know, squishes down, squishes down to, to less. Like what was it like 50 years ago or a hundred years ago? It'd be hard to really track that down. That's sort of what I'm working on now is tracking down. Um, the, the land timeline. The land timeline of who got moved, where, what was it originally? I mean, it's hard to, uh, it's hard to know. But they, 
okay, I don't want to get too deep into the government type stuff, but are they are they sort of? Well, we'll save that for another another show. Because I'm working right now and sort of figuring out because it's not you know I, there's not there doesn't seem to be a clear place to find out you know when this reserve was moved there or when this was moved you know yeah so i don't know what that was really i just know in canada right now it's twenty eight thousand square kilometers yes so i wonder if it was like you know 50 or 100 like a couple of years ago interesting to know to how it's come down or what yeah. they well, yeah, it would be interesting to know. That, that's kind of what I'm working on right now. I'm working cool. on it on my sub stack. Eventually it'll probably turn into another book. Yeah. And even getting into more details about what they can do with the land and how they, they kind of don't, it's not really like the government still, it's still under the, the, the crown, right? Technically. Yes. It's still under the crown. So, yeah. All I mean, right. What's your doozy? Okay. So mine, uh, what's mine here? Well, I, I kind of teased it a little bit here, but let me just uh, see here. And we'll get better at, at sharing at sharing screens here. I stopped mine. Yeah. So. So this is the farmers the farmers forum, uh, the largest circulation from farm newspaper in Ontario, Canada, Eastern Ontario, and Western Ontario. So this is just from from the biggest province here. And it's and it's like this is this is crazy making, right? So the headline, of course, Health Canada calls for end of capitalism, says racism causes global warming. And it, you'd think it was a joke, right? But I mean, he starts off he starts off with like, "Holy cats, what's up with Health Canada?" It looks like they're suggesting we overthrow capitalism, Western society, and even the very concept of liberty and individualism. I mean, who who, who needs those things, right? They're so overrated. So he says, um, the 72-page report, What We Heard, Perspectives on Climate Change and Public Health in Canada, was commissioned to examine the impacts of climate change on the health and well-being of people living in Canada. So they had these 30 experts and stuff piping into that. And they said, this is, this is where it gets crazy. It was written by three authors who identify as white settlers. Oh, my God. White settlers. They concluded that we need to focus on less tangible determinants such as legal, colonial, and racist factors. Easy peasy, right? Focus on what's hard to measure. Now, I know what you're thinking. What about being getting sunburned? So um, somehow racism, which has never been discussed as a national concern, has suddenly become an issue because all of our government departments are talking about it. Here's an excerpt from the public health report. People living in Canada depend on a healthy environment. Okay, this is like, this is just classic. So the, break this down. This is from the report. People living in Canada depend on a healthy environment and equitable access to it. We heard from the experts that solutions must first involve addressing systemic issues, i.e. capitalism, colonialism, racism, which drive common inequitable outcomes for public health and nature. Do you got any comments? I mean, I'm not surprised. I don't get the sunburn thing. It's just it's talking about global warming, right? So white oh. white supremacy can make you sick and plays habit with the temperature in your backyard, right? White supremacy is a motherfucker. I mean, in Canada, you know. So what does all this mean? Did, how did I've we never been yelled at for being brown? 
or belittled. Well, I have been belittled for not being vaccinated. We should, we should call you the the barely brown Indian cowboy. Maybe I can't. I can't say that. Actually, I probably shouldn't have said that on YouTube. But <laughs> that is where I've seemed to experience the most hate in my life. So, um, now what does all this mean? How did we miscalculate Western civilization? We thought that we had built a country and a reputation as one of the most fair and just places in the world. How did the entire world get that so wrong? There must be studies. Where are these eye-opening studies that now reveal how many white supremacists it takes to cause global warming? No need for studies. The experts have spoken. If we don't address capitalism, colonialism, racism, and white supremacy, we're just going to tread water until we eventually drown. So thank you, Health Canada. My aunt might be waiting months, even years, for her surgery, but I can assure that Health Canada has learned that we just need to topple Western civilization. That can end global warming. And just as night follows day, all be all will be right in the world. And just maybe her ailment will cure itself. I mean, this is the thing, right? It's a broken, Health Canada's a broken system. And now they're worrying about this stuff. That's all I get you. But we're in a, we're in a unique spot. There's almost like a Venn diagram of, of us. No, no, no. How would it be? Like, yeah, us and the woke. And there's when the circles combine, it's kind of like an anti-colonialism or anti-enlightenment type thing. You know, although they're probably more from the atheistic side, we're probably more from the spiritual side. But I mean, we don't really agree with a lot of the stuff that's happened in Western civilization as far as, you know, what Darren's talking about, the Indian Act, the residential schools, you know, the uh, the pervasive um, materialism that's that's sort of running our world. And it's just stuff that needs know. to be tweaked, though, not completely reworked. Right, right. So we're in a pretty good thing going here, all in all. We're up for a reset in that, like a reawakening, but not like, not based on false information and bullshit, you know, bullshit stuff. There you have it. Well, thanks, buddy. No problem. Let us know what you think. Send me links to your send me, Keep those links handy and I'll put them in the show notes. Okay. Uh, I closed them all already, but <laughs> I close them as I go because it helps me keep track, but I should. We should have them in the show notes. So I'll dig them up. And the next time I'll find a different way of doing it. But yeah, let us know how you like this new format. If you guys want to get the next stuff. I mean, next week I've got another thing. Is there a connection between transgenderism and autism or the spectrum? Could be. Who knows? Uh, we're going to get down next week. I'll see. I might have some studies that sort of allude to that. We'll see, but I can't do that on YouTube because it'll freak the fuck out. So we're going to do that on our Outlawed Plus only. You'll be able to watch that on Locals or you can listen to the podcast. And Substack. And Substack. You could also get the video by subscribing on Substack. And if you do sign up like through the website and you're a Plus member and you want to get the video, email Graham and he'll get you signed up. So you get the video. You get you, you automatically get it for free if you're already a Plus member. So if you like this stuff, let us know. If you hate it, let us know. If you got something you think we should talk about, email that. But we're definitely going to get into a bunch of COVID stuff on the Plus show. And we're also going to get into the transgender stuff and the autism connection. Anything else, Graham, you want to tease? Uh, no, I think that's about it. Just, I mean, you know, if you are a Plus subscriber, check out those Manly P. Hall uh, books. We do have the, the Manly P. Hall newsletter. Like, there's like gonna there's going to be like 51 segments of that in the Plus feed. Um. And check out our Adult Brain YouTube channel as well. Adult Brain, Adult Brain Audiobook Publishing YouTube channel. 
There you have it. GoAmerica.ca for everything else we're up to. And if you want to get that plus, guys, GoAmericaOutlaw.ca, $6.39 a month. You really can't go wrong. You can't get much for 6 bucks these days. But you can get hours and hours of extra content from Gramerica Outlaw for that price. So sign up, GoAmericaOutlaw.ca. Let us know what you think. Uh, other than that, we love you guys. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next week. Sue Terry, thanks for joining us. How are you? I'm good. I'm good, Graham. Good. Hey, Jerry. I've been looking forward to this. I've been reading. I've been reading some uh, some old sort of ancient ancient uh, or writings about ancient uh, wisdom and 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 music and sound keeps coming up. So I'm looking forward to to chatting with you about the power and the metaphysics of music. Excellent. It's it's a fascinating subject, and it's one that people don't really discuss very much and especially even in music school where you think you would think that people would talk about it it's not discussed at all Darren Darren used to like he's been a, a bit of a musician I have no musical talent at all whatever so I have no theory like I don't even understand like the theory of it and I can't play I've when school I hated it I couldn't play it um, but I love listening to it I love like like singing on my own in the shower or in the car, you know, it resonates with me. It makes me cry. I mean, it's, it has a powerful effect on me. So I think like most people probably have that relationship to music, but just so you know, I have no experience or, or, you know, a theory about music at all. That's what about cool. you? Did you learn that Darren, when you were, when you were playing in your band there for a while? Did I learn what? Sorry. Like music, the theory of it, like how no, did I, no, I can't even read music. Yeah, I can't read what music. What do you play, though, Darren? What's your instrument? Uh, I could play anything if you give me enough time with it. But I—I I mean, I don't play anything. If I'm being perfectly honest, right now, I got a bunch of guitars hanging up downstairs that I could, I could. Uh, um, that's what you played in the band, right? Yeah, that's what I, I played bass in the band. Actually. Bass, okay. But I could do drums and stuff too. The, the guitar is the funnest, but. I definitely don't play it by any stretch. I probably haven't touched it in like six months. <laughs> okay. Well, I think we we will still have an interesting discussion. Oh, for sure. I mean, so when did you when did you get interested in the power of music or the metaphysical aspect of it? I Has would it say, uh, you know, the th- I've been playing music since I was five years old, and um, I started to 
just from being a professional musician, you know, and being in so many different situations of playing, I started to notice things. And also, I, um, I have a, a long background in studying spirituality and metaphysical subjects. You know, my father gave me Carlos Castaneda's first book when I was 15, you know, so that was like my Bible. And uh, then I, I read all those books. I started to read a lot of Eastern mysticism, Eastern religions, and I uh, studied the the fourth way work of Gurdjieff, which I still am actively uh, involved with, with a spiritual group that studies that. And and also I have been practicing Tai Chi for more than 30 years. So all of that stuff just started to dovetail after a while. And, you know, you, you there's things in your life where you do this thing over here, you do that thing over there, but they, at a certain point, they all start to come together. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I wanted to ask you about Gurdjieff because I'm, I found, I have to dig up this old book. My, my dad had that book way back when. So I remember that book on our bookshelf as a kid, the fourth way. And, um, and I, and I thought I listened to this podcast. It was fascinating with two really prominent sort of magicians, like Western, like, uh, in a very studying various modalities of, you know, Western magic and Eastern mysticism. And it was Jason Lube and Greg Kaminsky. And they, they talked about how inevitably when you go down even either one Western magic or Eastern mysticism, it leads back to, it leads them back to Gurdjieff. Like people end up back at Gurdjieff. So why, why did you, why, why would, was there something about that that resonated with you? resonated with you? Pardon um, well, first of all, I love Jason Lou. The, the other um, person you mentioned, I'm not familiar with, but uh, I started to read, in Search of the Miraculous, that was probably my introduction to Gurdjieff, the Gurdjieff work when I was around, I don't know, 22, 23 years old. So th it, it just struck a chord. It, you know, Gurdjieff himself said that he was teaching esoteric Christianity, which is interesting. He, he never mentioned uh, the word magic or anything like that. But when you look at what he the things that he was talking about see when now we separate everything now right like everything is labeled um, categorized and yeah and back in the day it wasn't like that you know john d who was the the personal advisor to queen elizabeth the first in the 16th century you know he was an an astrologer he was he did medicine. He was a mathematician. He did occult stuff. He spoke with spirits. It was all just investigating, you know, which now it's all, I don't know, science really like, you know how people say, oh, follow the science, right? But a scientist never says that because science is all about investigation, you know? So, um, when you in when you are about investigation, you're not separating things. You're saying, "Oh, that's that appears to be happening. Let me go investigate that." So, it I think everything needs to be a lot more integrated, and and maybe we're moving into the next phase now. Uh, that you know, speaking of 
Jason Louve, who's um, into uh, chaos magic and stuff. There's another guy named Lionel Snell. He's yep. also he has another name, Ramsey Dukes. So we had written, him on. I think we had him on. Darren, Darren, didn't we have him on way way back, like many years ago? Oh, yeah. I gotta check. I gotta check out that show because he's amazing. He's an incredible scholar. So he says that humanity goes through these cyclical um, stages of um, religion, magic, art, and science, and it keeps cycling through. So we're kind of in the science now, right? But we're moving into the magic, and you can just you could tell that from the TV shows, you know, oh, like yeah. and stuff. Um, People are very, very interested and fascinated by paranormal things. So maybe we're in this transition period now where we're moving more towards magic, which I think is included in the heading of metaphysics. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I like it because I feel like we've been stuck in a in a bit of a, you know, they were fighting quite hard in the 1800s against the dogma of, of science and the church, you know, there was a huge movement, the spiritualism and the theosophy movements and really trying to look for sort of a middle, a middle truth or a middle way that wasn't so dogmatic. And maybe, you know, and, and I feel like it got squashed after world war one specifically. Um, but I mean, I guess it was a, sort of a long time coming since the enlightenment, which I would consider more of like a darkening, but Maybe we're maybe we're reaching that point where now now it's kind of breaking through again because you're right. I mean, all the all the amount of people that are sort of into the new age stuff, but also the occult and the and the magic part and all the TV shows and and people really opening up even even just about UFOs. I mean, since we've been podcasting for ten years, people used to send us stories and all that, and the really the 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 whole environment's changed quite a bit. Yeah, I think, and in terms of of music. It, it really makes perfect sense to talk about metaphysics and music together because music is just this really amazing, magical thing. We don't even know where it comes from. It's, uh, it's just something amazing. I never cease to be amazed at the, at the power of it and the mysterious origin of it. Um, you know, when you learn an instrument, you, you're, you're usually you're a kid, right? And you hear this music and you're like, wow, that's amazing. I want to do that. And then you, you get an instrument and you start practicing it and you start trying to play music. I remember when I was 12 playing charlie parker records on the turntable because there were no cds then right we're talking the 1970s so i would play this charlie parker record on the turntable and i would be like oh it just sounds like he's playing kind of random notes and then i would try to do it i would just play random notes but didn't sound like him and so it was this magical thing like when you see a magic trick when you see chris angel or when you see the carbonaro effect or something and you're you're amazed like how how are they doing that how is that possible and that's how it was that that's how it is with music when you're learning music you just want to do it because it seems like this magical thing 
Do you think a lot of people that write music have the intuitive gift or they're in the flow? They, they, they're doing downloads. Like, are they getting some help like with that? I mean. Oh, you mean like automatic writing type well, of thing? Well, kind of, or, or, or even just, um, even just, I don't think automatic writing so much, but I just wonder how, like, I can't even imagine, I can't picture how somebody would even write music. Um, so I, I can't like, for example, and I, what it comes to me is friends of ours called the brothers of the serpent. They, they, they made this album called, uh, uh, procession and it, and it had a really strong effect on me emotionally. Like, first of all, I, I didn't really expect it to be so good coming from just podcast friends. Like, but it was very professionally done, independent, rec independently recorded. And, and I guess it, it was just weird. Cause I'm like, these guys that we know, like made this amazing album. And I just didn't really realize that they had it in them. Right. But I mean, they've just got this talent for songwriting, writing the music, writing the lyrics. Right. And I guess, I don't even know where I'm going with that. It's just, it's just something that um, I can't, I, I just can't imagine doing it. Well, first of all, a band is more than the sum of its parts. And that's really the power of a band because um, that, that's why the music industry tries to break up bands all the time. You know, like they take the lead singer and give them a solo contract and they, they try to break up the band or they say, uh, you know what, well, let's just take the singer and the guitar player and then we'll fill in with studio musicians. They do that all the time because the industry is afraid of the power of bands and we've seen um, the power of bands. We've seen the power of, of the Beatles, of, of the stones, of Miles Davis's band of, you know, so many, right. The grateful dead, Frank Zappa, we've seen this. And in order to, um, and, and, and the reason for it is because a band is more than the sum of its parts. When you get together, that chemistry, that combination of musicians elevates the ability of everyone in the band because it's like you're joining forces. It's like a sports team, really. Yeah, that's a good, good analogy. Did you see a change in the music scene from, and not that you're in, involved in pop music at all or anything like that, but I feel like the eighties was a pretty special time with music. Um, it seemed like anybody could kind of had access to kind of come up with a creative album and put it out there or a song like the one hit wonders from the eighties. But then in the nineties, it kind of got, you know, it, it, you've got all these conspiracies about the record labels sort of controlling the message for the rap and, and kind of, did you, did you notice, have you noticed like a huge change in the way music is, is uh, controlled from the top like that? I think it was always controlled, but now they have more control. And what is upsetting to me as a, as an artist is that musicians don't realize the power that they have. They have incredible power. You know, we're basically the ar arbiters of the vibrations, you know, the, 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 this vibratory phenomenon that actually goes into people's bodies, you know, and changes them. It transforms people. So they've always wanted to control the musicians. But now, the I don't know, the musicians keep giving away their, their power to 
people in the music industry who a lot of times don't even know very much about music at all. And yet they're the ones calling the shots, you know, and it's disappointing and it's, it's kind of upsetting. And there are, I think a few people who are trying a few musicians who are trying to correct that situation. But basically we're in between paradigms right now. Right. The old, the old paradigm of, you know, talent scouts and stuff and, the the cream will rise to the top you know that doesn't happen anymore you could live and die and be a genius and no one will ever hear of you and everything is kind of forced on the artist now you have to do your own publicity you have to get your the audience to come to the gig you got to do your own promotion everything is and, and it's kind of a trickle down from the from other industries as well because you notice um, in many other areas, the customer is responsible for everything. The companies don't take any responsibility at all. And so this is the same thing as happening in music, you know. So I don't know. We're we're really in between paradigms now. Yeah, that's interesting. Because what are I mean? I guess another great thing about this album that had such an emotional effect on me, and and I still listen to it. Like it, it is like one of my favorite albums, and it's from you know our friends that made it. I mean, it's unbelievable. Like it's and some of the songs are as good as you know I could expect from a from a song. Um, and they did it on their own, independently recorded. They didn't go with a label. They did value for value, like basically. They put it out there. They put out all the the instrumental and the whole thing for people to use however they wish. Um, I don't know what you think about this 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 uh, process or this theory, but and then they and then they asked for people to donate, buy it, and then they, you know, and then I guess people can buy it. I guess people would buy it like they'd get it on their Apple if they have Apple Music and Spotify. Like it's available everywhere, but they're not really selling it. But they did this album did better than their other other albums. That had they had to follow the the labels, you know, um, uh, instructions and and uh, protocols and stuff. And these guys just did this exactly how they wanted. They had complete creative control over it. They made it exactly. They made it. They, I think they rented really really good recording equipment. They did it all themselves. So maybe that's a good sign that people are willing to to do that. I mean, do you do you like that or what do you think of that process? Yeah, they had a vision. And, and they saw their vision through to the end. They didn't let their vision get co-opted by the record company. And, and that's, uh, that's why it was successful. Um, I mean, the, the record company can, can kill a project. Uh, and um, I know that, uh, at least in, in jazz, the record companies, they operate on a failure model because they make money regardless. If if your if your album tanks, they don't care. They they still make money off it. I've seen um, people show me royalty statements where they owe the record company money wow. because it's it's all it's all recoupable. Um, all the expenses for the recording studio and everything uh, that that comes right off the top. So you don't see a dime. The artist doesn't see a dime until all of those recoupable expenses that that are in the contract are taken care of. Uh, it, it's not really a great model. 
Yeah. So I, I got a quote here from, I wanted to, you know, you talked about the, the like what started music, like the beginning of it or whatever. Um, there's, I was reading Manly P. Hall's uh, magazine from the ni- early 1900s and he's got, he's talking about, you know, how Orpheus uh, was accredited with the construction of the seven string lyre. And then it gets into the Greek mysteries and how they, they didn't consider it to be a basic art. They uh, regarded it as dependent upon mathematics. So in fact, among the ancients, um, they actually included in their doctrines a remarkable concept concerning the relationship of music to form. Now, I don't know if this is true, but I'd, I'd like your take on it. The elements of architecture, for example, were considered as comparable to musical notes or as having a musical counterpart. So consequently, when, building, when a building was erected in which a number of these elements were combined, the structure was then likened to a musical chord which chord was harmonic only when it was fully satisfied by the mathematical requirements of harmonic intervals. So like they said that thus a certain chord was said to be the keynote of the edifice. And they talk about how, you know, the, the priests and stuff, they would be able to whisper or sing a few notes and it would, they would resonate through the whole, the whole temple. And I mean, and I, and I was wondering, like I also was reading about how often they used music in the healing temples. Um, as a, as a side note, the place where I'm teaching this course in Quito in Ecuador, it's a series of caves and the architect who constructed these caves made them. So each one is vibrates to a certain tone. It it has a sympathetic vibration. So he took that concept that you're talking about and he implemented it in this modern, um, setting, right? So, yeah, I think there's a lot of correspondences with music and with architecture. And in a way, that would go back to Pythagoras and, and then later to Kepler, who they talked about the music of the spheres. Yeah. Because they saw they they felt that the, that music was movement. And so if you're talking about movement of planets, then this also is a type of music. But it's it's a music, not that is audible to the ear, but that you feel it in your soul. And I think the same, I, I you know, I think there were a lot of metaphysical uh, principles operating in the construction of these ancient temples, I mean, pyramids, all kind of things like that, um, because vi- the 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 vibration, the science of vibration, is pretty mysterious, and. Uh, you know, I mean, you watch Graham Hancock or, you know, any of these people talking about um, the possibilities of how things were constructed, like very heavy objects that were moved. There was a, a guy in the in the 40s, I think his name was Ed Lead Scallon. He yep. was a Latvian immigrant. And he constructed, you can go see this. It's it's in Florida. It's a site that you can go visit. It's called, it's in Homestead, Florida. It's called Coral Castle. And I wrote about this in, in my book, For the Curious. And and this this guy was like four feet tall. He had a sixth grade education. And he constructed these edifices out of tons of, of coral stone. I mean, weighing like lots of, 
weighing tons. And he constructed, you know, like a door that you can move it with one finger on a on a stone hinge that he made. It's everything's made out of stone in this place. And it has this incredible energy. You 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 go and you sit on the stone chair and you're like, how can a stone chair be comfortable? People don't want to get up from these things. You're <laughs> waiting in line, like just to sit in the stone chair, you know. So um he's people he he constructed this at night because he didn't allow anyone to watch him and when people asked him how did you do this you know we don't see you with any machinery or i mean how did, how did you move these stones and all he said was that he had discovered the secrets the ancient secrets of gravity and electromagnetism yeah I love that. So, the, Greg about, was just at Coral Castle. Who was? Carl. Oh, was he? Wow. We, I can't believe we haven't been there yet. Yeah, we should go. You guys have to go. It's an amazing place. Yeah. So, do you, do you have anything else to talk about? Or what about the hurts? Like the, um, you know, the I've heard you mentioning. I want to give a shout out to. Uh, to Ulysses, uh, he was he's the one that connected connected us, and I think his his podcast is called "The Meaning of Music and Mystery" or "Music: The Meaning and Mystery." I think music meaning and mystery, mystery yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, you guys had a fantastic chat, and and I don't know if it was there or another video that I saw you on talking about um, you know the hertz, the the four thirty two, the five twenty. I mean, that's really getting popular with the healing frequencies and. And there's some people that, you know, they call this the devil's note that's 528 and 741 together. I mean, there's also the conspiracy about when they change it from four, four from 432 to 440 in the in the 1930s or 40s, I think. What's your feeling about all, all this stuff going on? Well, uh, first of all, this is another reason that I want to teach this course, because there's a lot of, you know, crap out there, a lot of bullshit <laughs> that people are putting out that don't they don't know what they're talking about and they're making youtube videos that people are watching and and whatever and there there is a, a lot to it but um i i i don't like the way um some people are marketing this stuff uh it they do it in a very superficial way and they don't really explain what the underlying uh, strength of the concept is. So let's take, let's take 432 Hertz, for example. So people say 432 Hertz, oh, it's the frequency of nature. And um, there's people that say, oh, the Nazis decided to make it into uh, tuning A instead of tuning A to 432, they tuned it to 440. Well, you know, what does this mean? So Hertz is just cycles per second, right? It's how many, how many vibrations in a second. And so A440 means that the note A is vibrating at 440 times per second, as opposed to 432 or any of the other numbers that have been used in the past as a reference to tune everything to. And it's kind of a complex subject because 
we use a, a tuning system called equal temperament where all the notes, all the, the half half steps are the same distance apart. So does that mean the whole like scale came up a step? Well, if you go back to like Bach's time or Mozart's time, the tuning was lower. Like the note that we call A today, that was really, it's more like an A flat. So you not know, a full it, step, like a half step? It, it could have been as much as, as a half step or even more. So the tuning, key, the, the pitch um, keeps rising. And so does the volume, by the way. I can't believe the onstage and offstage volume, how loud it is now. It, it, you know, I mean, over, you know, 40 years of being in the music business. And I think people are looking for, they, they want to feel the vibration in the body. Yeah. That's they want it loud, right? Well, I, to be fair, I think you guys would have had that shit in the 60s, too. You just, the speakers would sound like shit. You know, you kind of always been as loud as you could get it and still not lose the clarity. Right. Now, my truck gets so loud, I can't even turn it up all the way. And it still sounds perfect. Right. Like always pushing the limits of the equipment, right? Yeah. Whenever I was a kid, you couldn't like turn my shit up past like, you know, if it went to 30, you could go to like 17 or 18 before it started like, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah, the, no, the equipment definitely can sustain more now. And so, of course, we're humans, right? We like to push envelopes. So we keep going for that. But, um, yeah, the tuning, uh, you know, string players, orchestras. If you go to Europe, the orchestras tune even higher than they do in the United States. Uh, string players like the brilliance when the, when, when the pitch is higher. Um, the orchestras... Uh, you know, the conductors and the musical directors, the artistic directors, they like that, that it sounds punchier when it's tuned higher. And so we're, we're dealing with all that too. And, you know, meanwhile, you got people saying, oh yeah, 432, it's a sound of, it's what nature tunes to, you know? So does that mean I can go outside and my frog, the tree frogs out there, or they're tuned to 432? I don't know. Is the pitch rising? Yes, it is. But is 432 the magic nature number? That's pretty debatable. I think it was. So I think it was more to do with a sacred number, but Graham might have something to do with that. I So I never heard the like the thing about nature to go along with it. I, I've just heard that it was like it was just better for us. It was like. But, it resonated with us. It was a resonant frequency for us, I think, is what the thing was. But, I mean, you're not listening to fucking A notes all day, so that doesn't make any fucking sense. I mean, what about well, every other note? Well, what we are listening to all day long is that, that 60 hertz hum, you know, of every appliance, um, every motor vibrating at 60 hertz. And we don't realize it, but that has permeated our bodies. You know, so... Um, we have had scientists in the past that worked on frequency healing, like uh, Raymond Reif was was one of them. And he he was able to figure out the frequency of parasites, bacteria, viruses, and then uh, project a, and uh, that uh, the same frequency onto them to kind of nullify them. And he cured 
cancer patients. And of course he was uh, nailed to the cross like uh, they did to Wilhelm Reich and, you know, other, uh, What's the, isn't there a new Rife machine? What's the what's the new fancier one? Well, well, here here's the thing. There's people working on this now, but I have also heard uh, some researchers say that the frequencies that Rife used back then aren't going to work anymore because we have our bodies, the bodies of all the humans on the planet, have been affected by all the electromagnetic radiation. So our bodies have changed and, and the way that our bodies are reacting to uh, pathogens has changed and maybe the, the uh, pathogens themselves have changed. So we real, I think we need a lot of ongoing research into this, but there's, a, there's some uh, companies who are using some, even on apps on a phone, that they analyze your voice the frequencies in your voice. And then they uh, are able to determine where is the weak point in your body based on the frequencies in your voice. And then they give you some counter frequencies to, to kind of sing or hum. The same principle as Rife's doing in a way. Basically it is. Basically it is. So there's, there's a lot of investigation that we could, that we could do with this it's it's really um a Fast very it, it, yes you you could go forever with this and i don't know how many scientists there are out there who are studying this but i think it's a a field that's really worthy of very deep investigation it's like somatics for people right like analyzing the frequencies because everything is frequency everything yeah. is vibration yeah, like Tesla said. Right, exactly, exactly. And and uh, I don't know if you guys have have followed this at all, but there's a lot of um, mind control stuff going on with frequencies that the CIA is using, governments are using, uh, police are using to control for crowd control. How are they doing? Are they doing that through that? Uh, is that those sound cannons that they have? Like those those things. Yeah, they have those, and uh, but even uh, do you guys remember the the scientist John Lilly? Yeah, hand cannon. Yep. The the yeah. dolphins and the and the and the uh, sensory deprivation tanks, right? Exactly, exactly. So he was working with the dolphins, and he discovered um, a wave that he could use to apply to because what they were trying to do is communicate with the dolphins. So they had electrodes on the dolphin brains, but that disturbed their brains, wow. you, you know, to, to keep having this um, uh, electromagnetic pulse going through their brain. So John Lilly figured out a wave that could be played through the electrode that nullified the negative effects of the electrode so that they could keep applying Wasn't the electrode. Wasn't he high on acid too at the time? Sorry? Wasn't he the acid guy too? He was fucking high? Oh, he he was into um, ketamine actually. Right. Later, later in his life, and you ever been he, in this? K, you ever hit the K hole? Yeah, he he did some pretty wild experiments with that. But you know, and everybody says about him, oh, you know, he's crazy. 
but he's a genius. I mean, so, those psychedelics will bring you to the brink. I've been to the K-hole only one time, and I never uh, tried ketamine again. While driving? I was not driving. I was <laughs> I was seeing shotgun. But the driver was also, uh, we both ended up in the K-hole, so we had to pull off and, uh, like, just hide out. And it was like, in, in southern Ontario, there's not really, like, any place to pull off, you know? It's, like, just, it's kind of, like, probably... Like being around, I don't know. I've never been to California, but it's just like Toronto to fucking Detroit and the other way as far as Peterborough. It's all just like one big city, you know? It's not really, but it's like a metropolis. So it's just you go from one city, now you're in another city, now you're in another city, but you're not really like you haven't not seen buildings the entire time. And uh, there was really just no place to pull off. But I remember. Like the shit was getting dark for a minute and we had to like pull up. But in the end, we were laughing. I just, I don't remember. I remember coming up a hill and we couldn't fucking drive anymore. We were laughing. We were chuckling. We were just like, what the fuck? So we just like pulled off and like in the woods there, just, I don't know what went down after that. I kind of blacked out. And then we just sort of, you know, hit the road again. And my buddy was getting back into this, that shit like a few days later. And I was like, you know, I've never done it since. Yeah, it, so yeah, it sounds much. like you need a break after that. Yeah, yeah. But so I didn't have any John Lilly style breakthroughs. That's, I guess, that's the point of the story. Is that it didn't happen for me. I have had some pretty profound breakthroughs on mushrooms and acid, but the the K hole was not a good experience for me. I don't know how anyone could navigate that. Well, yeah. It's it's not something I would uh, want to try myself. But John Lilly invented this wave, and the wave is coming through your TV now. It's coming through the power grid. And it, it's basically a, a, an entrainment wave because, um, you know, how people go on and uh, use alpha waves and because you, you have these different the binaural brain waves. beats and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, the binaural beats. And, um, this, this entrainment wave that John Lilly invented is it's coming through your TV. It's probably coming through the, the cell phone, it's coming through the computer. It's being broadcasted on the public without disclosing that, well, that it's done. Wow. Well, let's, let's, bef before, okay. How, how do you know how many Hertz it is? Um, I have a copy of it. Uh, that I downloaded, but I don't remember the exact frequency. So, I lost my assistant. So what happened? What I happened with, how many? How many hertz is the John Lilly wave? I'd have to. Look, I'd have to look oh, that up. Oh. I got a guy to ask. I got. Darren, Darren's asking his assistant. Okay. Um. So in the meantime, John Lilly. Uh, what happened to him after he after he fixed that dolphin problem? So that the they could uh, continue on. How did that go after that then? Well, th then he was upset because he thought they were abusing the dolphins. And so he quit. You know, he was working for the National Institute of Health and, and he quit. And he started his own foundation and his own um, uh, research company. And, but didn't, wasn't, weren't they doing experiments and stuff that they that he didn't want to be involved in, or was that the abuse that you're talking about? Um, yeah. Well, what happened was um, 
various government agencies kept trying to contact him to to work for them. And he just he didn't want to do that because he knew what they were up to. You know, right, it was right. all about control, all about weaponizing um, these uh, these frequencies. Right. And did he end up finding out about the entrainment wave work while working on dolphins? And then, and then they stole that, like, not that they stole it, but you know, they, they used his discovery. Well, what happened was, um, he didn't realize that they had started deploying this wave on the public. He didn't know that he was visiting a friend. This guy this friend's name was Adam Trombley, who's also a uh, a researcher. And there's a very interesting interview with Catherine Austin Fitz uh, interviewing this guy Adam Trombley, where she where they're talking about entrainment and and frequencies and the effect that it has on you. And he was visiting Trombley, and I guess he was you know sleeping in the upstairs bedroom. He comes downstairs, and Trombley has his television set hooked up. Uh, and there's a computer and monitors and equipment and there's a wave on the screen. And John Lilly says, where did you get that wave? And Adam Trombley says, I didn't, I didn't get it anywhere. It's just coming through the TV set. And John Lilly said, that's my wave that I invented to use on the dolphins. So that's how they found out. Yeah. Was he high? No, I wonder where the kid. I mean, I wish he was. I wish we could interview. Okay, I got this from uh, my assistant. He can okay. be a liberal bootlicker at times, but he's been okay some sometimes. Um, entrainment refers to the synchronization or alignment of biological rhythms or brain waves with an external stimulus, such as a sound or light. When it comes to brainwave entrainment, specific frequencies are often associated with different states of consciousness. Delta waves are 0.5 hertz to 4 hertz, associated with deep sleep from consciousness and healing. Theta waves are 4 hertz to 8 hertz, uh, deep relaxation, meditation, creativity and, en- creativity, and enhanced learning. Alpha waves, 8 to 13 hertz, with relaxed, calm state of mind, experienced during light meditation or daydreaming. Uh, beta waves, 13 hertz to 30 hertz, active thinking, alertness, and focus concentration, and gamma waves, 30 hertz and above. So I don't know if that answers a question or not, but that's what this uh, AI assistant told me. Well, so think about it. Um, what have we been experiencing in society? Big apathy, right? Like people just kind of submitting to more and more authoritarian and totalitarian rules and restrictions. So alpha wave entrainment, that's, that's what you get when you're watching TV. That's why you, you don't turn off the TV. You just keep watching. The commercial comes on, you keep watching it. You know, your cell phone, you keep scrolling, you keep scrolling the computer you keep even when you're past the point of being interested in it because it's it's hypnotic you're being entrained so physically like physically yeah your brain waves are being entrained 
Yeah. It's interesting to hear you describe it so scientifically kind of in a, in a way, because it's always been sort of, you know, one of those conspiracies. Oh, you know, your TV's like doing that, but it is releasing a frequency, right? And they've been doing this since the fifties. You, you remember the subliminal advertising uh, scandal, you know, they started showing just microsecond frames of advertising and um, then they got greedy and said, oh, let's show more. And then people started noticing it. Hey, you know, hey, what was that? <laughs> you know. <laughs> so it, it, it's um, it's all out there. This all this technology is being deployed on the public. And um, and this is also going to be a component of my course, because I want people to. Understand the real power that frequencies have and how they've been weaponized, but also how we can use, use this knowledge for our own benefit to enhance our own health and, and our own, um, uh, our own sort of state of being, because we can use it for that. Like with the binaural beats, I did the hollow sync oh, meditation. Yeah. For, for I did the whole program six years, and I th I think it's a fantastic program. And it was invented by Robert Monroe, who's the guy from Out of Body, you know, Journeys Out of the Body, and he was an audio engineer. He worked for NBC, so he was fooling around with audio equipment at his house, and he started going into altered states spontaneously. And he was consulting doctors. Finally, he got to a doctor who, and he, he explained what was going on. And this particular doctor said, you know, you're not crazy. Don't worry about it. You're, you're experiencing um, brainwave entrainment from your <laughs> audio equipment experiments. And that's how he invented Hemisync, which was the first binaural beat program. Um, and, you know, now there's other programs that use the same technology. I, I myself used the Holosync. I thought it was fantastic. It's a which, great meditation aid. Which was taken seriously by the government. I mean, they, they have the whole, there's a 1983 paper called uh, Project Gateway or Gateway Analysis that right. that talks about the, the science behind all that. And they talk about the Monroe Institute and and the remote viewing. And yeah, it's fascinating. In 2023, they moved on to Project Gateway. Okay. CIA has been using this stuff for, you know, as long as it as long as they knew about it. I like to say, you didn't think the Manchurian candidate was fiction, did you? Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk well, about I mean, not just the CIA. I mean, you know, all those like uh, what's that, sorry? All uh, the other cultures and governments and like that shit in Cuba where people's ears were all fucked up. Remember that? Yeah, that was the the Havana syndrome thing. So that that was like 2016, 2017, right? And they couldn't understand what was going on, and they they finally figured it out. They were being targeted with microwave pulses. You know, so, all of these frequencies on the electromagnetic spectrum um, are they're really really powerful, and we really should be aware of how they're being deployed and how. Um, how we might want to protect ourselves from these things. Is there, so what you talked about the 60 Hertz hum, is there a way to, to uh, negate that? 10 for a hat, bro. 
<laughs> you know, you, you just have to be aware of it. Um, once you become aware of it, you know, you can take some steps to um, isolate your appliances and, and things like that. You know, a lot of people have loud refrigerators. I do. But it's all over. I mean, it's the power grid. You know, and and we are being influenced by that. Yeah. What's Darren? Do you got any questions? I had them, but I forgot it. Let's get into your course. Let's get into depths of your course a little bit more. Then. Well, in the talk about more of the course because it's it's more like I mean you it's an intensive course, right? A few solid days, um, almost as much as a semester of academic work. Yeah, it's a, it's a five-day intensive. And what I tried to do was kind of condense all of the ideas. I'm going to bring up the program here if I can find it. Um, I'm trying to condense everything into uh, bite-sized chunks, as it were, so that the overall, you know, the totality of the presentation can can come across. But it's going to be very interesting and I'm going to have videos. Uh, we're going to have live cymatics demonstrations. In case people don't know what that is, that's um, there was a, a scientist named Hans Yeni, and he figured out how to take sound waves, tones, and make them appear as um, designs in a medium like sand or iron filings and things like that. And his work was based on another guy who came before him called Clodney. And uh, it's really amazing when you see the diagrams that the tones make in the medium. It's it's like watching sound. And I don't mean like waves like you would see on your your audio program. It's not it's not that. It's actual designs circular designs and snowflake designs and all kinds of things. Yeah, there you go. So that's going to be a component. And uh, Juan Alfonso, who's the owner uh, and the, the architect who built these caves and this international arts center where we're going to be doing the course, he has built his own cymatics machine. So we're actually going to be doing this live, which is going to be really cool. So there's all kinds of, you know, we're going to be talking about um, the functions of music in society and the function of musicians in society. And there's a lot of different aspects to it. What's going on with this fucking two-speed shit? I mean, my kids are on to it. Then clearly it's a thing if Spotify has got an entire playlist to all these songs played at double speed, what is going on, Sue? Oh, oh yeah. I've, I've seen a little bit of that. I don't know. Maybe because the world is speeding up and people want to catch up with it. But it all <laughs> sounds like the chipmunks. I mean, it's right. I know it is weird. It is weird, but here, you know, we're, we're, constantly being bombarded with these algorithms all the time. AI is, you know, AI is not going anywhere. It's just going to get stronger, more powerful and more controlling of all of our daily lives. Right. So 
part of my mission is to not to not to try to get rid of AI because that's impossible. But what are what are real musicians going to bring to the table that AI can't do? And the only thing that we can bring to the table that AI cannot do is to under, really understand and be able to communicate the metaphysical aspects of music. So, you know, we're going to be talking about different tuning systems. There's a lot of different tuning systems. People don't even know anything about that. Um, the manipulation of emotions that uh, happens with, with music. Um, different, uh, how different art forms, how they can combine with music. Um, the, the, it's a whole, it's like a whole college course here that I had all the modules. Which one's your favorite? I would say, I love you know uh, everything on here is stuff that I that I like to talk about because I've been researching it for a long time. I I would say probably the the functions of of music in society and the function of musicians in society I think is a a pretty important thing because everyone needs to. I, I wish that everyone could understand what their role is in society like they did in, um, let's say, in Native American, you know, tribal situations, tribal societies. Even a little kid knows what their role is. You know, so your role is to go out hunting or your role is to keep the teepee in order or your role is to clean the corn. You know, everyone has responsibilities in a tribal society. And because we don't have, we don't live in tribal societies anymore. People don't know what their responsibilities are. And I think a lot of people feel lost, especially the young people. Well, they're listening to music at two times speed. I mean, that gets you lost fast. I mean, it seems, it seems crazy to me. If anything, the older I get, the slower my musical tastes have got. And as far as the AI thing goes, I mean, the eighties were was that was when did the auto tuner come out? That was kind of like AI, wasn't it? AI I, like drum machines, drum machines, and drum machines you know the the thing i just said the auto tune for the voices you know that that was all sort of the i mean in a lot of ways ai has been infiltrating the music industry for a long long time yeah it has i remember when the lynn drum which was the first electronic uh, drum program i remember when that came out and being in the recording studio and having a producer apply that <laughs> to a track and it used to do this thing called quantizing because it couldn't divide up the the notes small enough so it would have to just kind of slot them in to the spaces that it had available for the rhythms right and i remember it came up with this really bizarre 
rhythm one time just because it quantized um, the track in a way that isn't the way a human would have done it, but it was interesting. But would you want to listen to that all day? I don't know. No, you'll notice it's all, you'll notice all of it. Like they can fool you with even that AI and whatever they're calling it, deep fake, whatever they fool you with that on like a quick clip if you're not paying attention. But if you have to listen to an hour of that, I would say not even an hour. I mean, I got a pretty good ear for it. I listened to a ton of spoken word between the audiobooks and the podcast and Graham. You know, it's like you can pick it up. I pick it up pretty quick. There's like a, there's a cadence missing to it. Uh, yeah, exactly. But you know, though, it's come a long way. I, you know, I got, we got buddies like, you know, Max singing all the time. He's in the chats, Mac. Oh, shout out to Mac. And we got bass Taz. He's a musician. And then, uh, like, of course, Brothers of the Serpent. But uh, I lost, uh, I lost the question that I was going to with that. But it's like, um, if our, our buddy Kevin Alice does all sorts of crazy stuff, if, like, if this stuff would have been at the level it's at now when I was, you know, there was a point when I was serious about it, but it was still hard to do. Like, you go rent a recorder to kind of get everything recorded, but it was a, it was a real expense. So you're there and you're kind of hammering it out for a weekend. Whereas now, you can just have all this stuff all the time if you just have a computer. Like, uh, the game's really changed. I'm surprised it's that. It's interesting that the field hasn't got a little more competitive, but at the same time, I guess, you know, like most of my favorite musicians nowadays are people that other people have never heard of that have smaller following. So I suppose in some ways it, it has. Yeah. My, my favorite platform is Bandcamp. I love exploring on, on Bandcamp. I don't even put most of my stuff on, spotify or anything i mean spotify is a horrible model for musicians and really most of those um platforms are are pretty terrible you know the way that we learned about music um having vinyl albums and just memorizing the liner notes and learning the names of all the musicians and playing the records over and over and on the radio the announcers would tell you the name of the song and who was playing on it and you know that's how we learned about about music and you don't have any of that now. All you know is the leader, the band leader's name. Their name is on the record. You don't even know who's playing on the record. But that's why I like Bandcamp, because not only can you download, well, and you can get physical merch too, but you can download the tracks in any format you want, any audio format. It's not just MP3. You can have Wave. You can have FLAC, uh, AAC, I think they offer as well. and all the liner notes, photos, videos, whatever the band wants to put up there, you can download it. So it's a platform that kind of lets us go back to those old days of really immersing ourselves in the music that we like. This one time at Bandcamp, <laughs> we, uh, that's actually where we get all our music. I mean, we got Broke for Free. Is a lot of the music on the show. It's all of our interlude music between the guests and the interview. So, you know, we used to jump it around, but then we just sort of settled into a couple of things. So you can get all the Broke for Free stuff at brokeforfree.com or at Bandcamp. And of course, we got the fabulous Felix Ortega II. 
He does all of our or ninety nine percent of our outro music. We do a lot of the fifty dollar dynasty stuff, which is Kyle's band. Uh, once in a while, but Felix has been making us jingles, and he's sort of been making music for us since day one. And that's where we I get all his stuff. Is I think I've bought all his albums like a dozen times off Bandcamp now. And now that now that Bandcamp is owned by Epic, which is kind of a mega company, um, I wish that it wasn't owned by Epic, but that's how it is. And it's still it's still a good platform despite that. What do you what do you see the where do you see the music industry going now in the next five, ten years? Well, I think the the musicians really better start taking control over how they want their music disseminated, how they want to be paid for it, and what they want their working conditions to be like when they play live. And if musicians don't do that. Uh, I could see in the future kind of a Hunger Games scenario, like lock the musicians up in the cage. Oh, okay, let them out because the king wants to hear some music for lunch. You know, that, that kind of thing. You know, it's like they're they're just gonna con- we're just gonna be controlled more and more and more unless now we say no, we're not doing that. But, but I mean, let's, we don't have to get too deep into this and I hope you have a little bit more time here, but um, what about uh, like you're in an industry that's fairly woke right now. I mean, you've, you've, you've grown up in this industry. You've been playing it as a professional musician for, you know, I don't know how long, but you've been into it for 40 years or whatever. And now are you seeing like a crazy shift where the musicians, the artists in general, pop culture is like getting super woke. They're going along with their, they think they're the resistance, but they're really just following along with the big corporations and what the government's telling them to do. I mean, how do you handle this environment? Yeah, it, it's very weird, Graham, because um, back in the day, I mean, my field basically is jazz, right? So the jazz musicians, they were the, the hip people. You know, that's who everybody copied. They were the ones that set the the fashion trends. Um, they they were the ones that uh, everybody was following. They were the ones, you know, and they would say things against the government and they would give their opinions. And now it's the opposite. Now all of, at least the, the jazz musicians, I see the, them being very formulaic towing every line that's given to them and just oh you know you want me to wear a mask while i'm playing the clarinet oh sure i i can figure out how to do that there's people doing that <laughs> you know it really it boggles the mind it I really thought that was like it's hard to know if that was just a meme or not, but it's it's disappointing to hear oh, the people doing it. I got it's I see your pictures, yeah. And I mean, our health ministers, our health minister said glory holes on national television. I mean, we're you can't really you can't get any more ridiculous than that. But I mean, it wasn't even just the old jazzers. I mean, we went from the nineteen nineties. Fuck you! I won't do what you tell me. That exact band saying just fucking do what they tell you. Exactly. I mean, Rage Against the Machine. I mean, the last people you would ever see selling out, which makes you wonder if the whole industry isn't a bunch of sellers. I mean, we had Dave McGowan on five or 600 episodes ago, the late, great Dave McGowan, God rest his soul. 
episode 60 or 69, I believe, somewhere in there. It's in the 60s. If people want to go back, check that out. It was a fantastic chat. And he's talking about all these bands, you know, being sort of like spooks. And, you know, the older I get, the more I'm like, he might have been on to something. Have you heard about his work at all? The weird scenes in the canyon? No, I'm not familiar with it. He talks about the Laurel Canyon where in the 60s, the late 60s specifically, there was um, like a whole bunch of these musicians. A lot of these prominent musicians had uh, parents in the intelligence uh, community or as like high up in the Army, Navy, like Jim Morrison. There's a whole bunch of them. And they were also using an ex an ex-Army base for their studio, for a lot of the studio down there. And, and he just, he really made a lot of connections about like, this is kind of just controlled, controlled counterculture in a way. Right. And that, then that's going on today for sure. Yeah. Wow. Another rabbit hole to go down. Oh yeah. That's, yeah, that's a, that's a good one. That weird. I don't know what's going on with my camera. This. I think it's, it's since you blew some smoke right on it, you never got focused back in after Allegedly. the big smoke. Yeah. Allegedly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, in the, I'm in an a-hole right now. <laughs> I so what think if, I sniff that stuff. If I remember correctly. I don't remember a hundred percent how I did it. It was either sniff it or you remember you used to take those little balls, a little roll up. You used to call them like parachutes or something like that. They look like little upside down ghosts. No, you guys didn't do a lot of drugs, huh? No, I don't know. We're not. No, we're not resonating with you. Not that fine. <laughs> Dude, this, this has been great. That was just regular old weed I was smoking, just so. Just to be perfectly clear. Okay. Uh, this has been great. An hour has flown by. Where can our people find all your stuff? Can they, do you have social media? Do you have a website? All that kind of stuff. Graham will put it in the show notes. Only like 20% of people bother reading the show notes. So it's always good to give that URL out right here. And make sure you oh. mention, make sure you mention your course again. It's an intimate course. There's not, it's not a whole ton of people, right? It's a small group in Ecuador, in the Andes. Um, for a bunch of days, very intensive. Yeah, five. It's a five-day course. It's it's going to be pretty amazing, and it, it's going to be very special. So, I, I'm, you know, it's it's for a small group of people. Uh, they can be musicians, or they can just be music fans. You know, because a lot of times music fans are more. They love music even more than the musicians do. So that that has a probably the best. URL that I would give people is just my website because the link to the course is there and the link to all of my other stuff, my albums and everything is there. So my name is Sue Terry, but it's just S U there's no E on the end. So Sue Right on. Thanks. Do you think we covered everything or is there anything we missed that you want to mention before we wrap it up? Oh, there's a, there's a million things we missed. <laughs> <laughs> well let's do this again i would love to it was so great talking to you guys yeah yeah it flew by it was fantastic it's uh really love what you're what you're doing and good luck with your course thank you very much thanks for having awesome. me on the show i appreciate right. it awesome. thanks Sue. have a great night thanks guys be good yeah and that was a chat with sue terry what'd you think i love it it's awesome there you have it Someone made the comment about how you were talking about how you cry when you sing, and I didn't seem like I really gave a shit. Well, you, you uh, didn't. You she, don't give a shit. Like, 
I don't. I tell you, when 80s songs comes on, or even like the fans, you know, sometimes people who are listeners, like, I mean, I'm a listener too. I just, uh, you know, I don't get the crying music, dude. I just don't get it. Um, what really? I love. I, mean, I love music, music, dude. I listen to music all day. I probably listen to more music than you do in a day because I'm out and about in my truck, which is the perfect music listening environment. I cry with the Snake Bros. Sometimes when I sing the Snake Bros. album, even like cry? the Fifty Dollar Dynasty. I mean, if we had like a track on you, how often is it, how many is it just with music? Is there other things that make it's you just cry? with music like, mainly? Dude, that, yeah, like yeah, jumps up yeah. on your shoulder a certain way. Or? It was like ever since that Ray Cooper, the drummer from Elton John in Vegas, when I cried during his drum well solo, up. that kind of triggered this whole thing. No, I'm just kidding. It's I've seen you like well up sometimes, and there's been no music involved. <laughs> <laughs> no Tell songs would do it, dude. Like I was going to ask her about the residents, like the fix, like if the song from the fix comes on, like that. Uh, what's that song called? Uh, um stand 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 or fall that first chord sends a shiver down my spine every time i don't know what song you're talking about i'll play it and i'll play it for you in the intro we'll get you can't that'd be copyright infringement wouldn't it just a chord dude i haven't yeah one chord do you know which chord it is no i don't i wouldn't know anyway i don't know how to read music but i could play music half-assed I'm a half-ass musician, half-ass podcaster, half-ass writer, half-ass hunter. See, I'd rather be half-ass at everything than just like bad at shit, you know? <laughs> anyway, big thanks to Sue for coming on the show. Big thanks to you guys for listening. Even bigger thanks to one of the few, the 1% that choose to support our work for America.ca slash support. Episode 610 or something. They're all free. They're all there. No... You know, they're just all there. They're all free. We don't try and really sell you anything. There's a few episodes where we might try and sell you some stuff in the beginning, actually. We tried out a couple different models. There's like a raffle thing that we tried back then. But it's all there. It's all free. If you like it, if it adds some value to your life, to your day, to your commute, to your workout, to your walk, wherever you're listening, head over to grandamerica.ca slash support today. Sign up for monthly. Make a one-time donation, guys. We can't do this out yet. We get hungry. We have bills to pay. We got gas to pay so that Graham could drive around singing and crying in his car. Uh, adult Brain for the audiobooks. Contact at the cabin for all the trips. Uh, don't, 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 don't. You're going to get us a strike. We're live, too. That's like a major infraction. Uh, we love you guys. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next week. Yo